Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we're continuing in this series we're calling Our Prayer. And it's based on what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. But really, it's not. It's not the Lord's Prayer. It's our prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus taught his followers. Immediate followers then, and us today Um, This prayer, this is our prayer. And as we have been going through it, um, the whole idea behind this is because it's something that's so familiar to us that it's only, it very easily just becomes mindless repetition. And so to kind of help break that um, familiarity a little bit, we've been doing a different version of it, a a revised version um, based on Dallas Dallas Willard's work on this. So um, as we have done each and every week, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to pray again this morning, our prayer. Dear Father, who is always near us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the things we need today to accomplish your will. Forgive us our sins as we are forgiving those who offended us. Keep us clear of temptation near you through life's trials and safe from evil because you are the one in charge and the glory is yours forever which is just the way we want it. You may be seated. So last week we recognized that there was a change in the prayer. The beginning of the prayer is all focused on God which is good because it keeps our prayers from being all self-centered and all about us. And then we noticed that last week as we went into it, that there's a change that happens in the prayer. And now it's our turn. And, and we're, we're, we're free to ask. And there's two requests. And we looked at them last week. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, there's a third one. And I kind of wanted to pull this one aside and, and deal with it separately. Because uh, this morning we're going to talk about um, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Okay, so we're going to talk about this, the temptation this morning. So I thought the best way to start this morning would be, I would like you to turn to the person next to you and tell them your deepest, darkest temptation. No, don't, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Some of you started to turn and I was a little nervous there. <clears throat> this whole idea of temptation. And, and whether, you, whether or not you are a believer, whether or not you consider yourself a Christ follower, we all have things in our lives that we don't understand why we do them. We wish we didn't do them, but we do them anyways. We have regrets over things that we wish we'd never done, but we do it anyway. And it's this whole thing about temptation. And, 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 and Jesus know, knew that about us. He knows that about us. And so as a part of this prayer, he's saying, here's something else to pray for. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is it that we're praying when we pray that? Has that ever been kind of confusing to you as you pray that? Why why is he asking us to, why is he teaching us to pray this? What is it that we are really saying when we say, lead us not into temptation? This morning, we're going to look at that a little bit. And I think there's some things that I think it it makes perfect sense as you begin to unpack that. And that's what we're going to do this morning. What is it that we are really praying when we say, lead us not to temptation? I think one of the first things is what we are doing is we are saying, I am aware of my own personal weaknesses. 
that I am subjected to temptation and I am vulnerable to temptation because there is something in my character, there is something about me that is a weakness, that's a flaw. There's something that makes me vulnerable to it. So Jesus told us, pray, lead us not into temptation. It's simply admitting that I have a weakness. And it, you know, and it doesn't matter how strong you are, because every one of us have a point of weakness. A little over a year ago, there was a huge, huge fire in San Bruno. And a, and a gas main, a 30-inch steel, solid steel gas main erupted and destroyed a whole neighborhood. People lost their lives because there were tiny little welds that had faults in them. And even though this was a huge, huge pipe, and it was solid steel, and it was, it was strong, all it took was one little flaw in the weld to cause a tremendous havoc, disaster. And, and when we're saying, lead us not into temptation, what we're saying is, Lord, I know no matter how strong I am, no matter how confident I feel, what I am admitting right here and now is there is a part of me, maybe a tiny part, but there is something in me that's a flaw, that's a weakness. And every one of us have this. Every one of us. And, and it might be different for each and every one of us. Your flaw may not be my flaw, but I've got mine, and I know you've got yours. In fact, that's what the Scripture tells us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Paul is writing to the Corinthian churches. He's saying, we all got them. We've all got them. And your flaw may not be my flaw, And the person sitting next to you, their flaw may not be your flaw, but they've got them, and you've got them, and I've got them. And when we are praying, lead us not in temptation, what we are saying is, Lord, I know there is something about me. There is some point of weakness in my life, and I'm owning up to it. We're told a little bit earlier in Matthew's gospel that just before Jesus began this, his ministry and, and started with the Sermon on the Mount, which is where the prayer is found, that Jesus himself went through a time of temptation. That right after his baptism, when, when God the Father just audibly from heaven said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. It says right after that, he was led by the Spirit out to the wilderness for 40 days. And while he was there, he was tempted, just like we are. And, and in the temptations of Jesus, what you see is there, there's something in each of those temptations that, that, that speaks to what is in every one of us. And probably whatever temptation that might be your weak point, it probably has an element of one of these three things. And you might remember these. Um, you may remember at least the first one where he is tempted to turn stones into bread. And the temptation there is to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. He was in the wilderness. He was fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. Food is a legitimate need. But the temptation was, is to meet that legitimate lead, need in an illegitimate way. And, and, and for some of us, that's what it is. That's the flaw. It's a legitimate need. We're, just, we're, we're drawn to meeting that need in an illegitimate way. The second form of temptation that Jesus was presented with was to try to, to, to use God 
to accomplish his own ends. Satan took him up to the pinnacle and he said, if you will just throw yourself down. Scripture says, Scripture says, he will send his angels to protect you. Just, just throw yourself down. God will take care of you. And, and in that, there's a temptation to use God and use God's graciousness and God's protection and God's, God's goodness to accomplish my own ends. And, and it's kind of like we're walking along and we're saying, okay, God, if you don't want me to do this, then you stop me. Then you stop me, you know, as we walk off the cliff. And then in the last one, Satan took him up and said, showed him all the kingdoms of this world. He said, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Because that's, that's where Satan does his work. If you will just but bow down and worship me. And in that, there is this temptation to do the right thing in the wrong way. Or the wrong time. Because Jesus was ushering in his kingdom. See, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. This is the kingdom of God. This is the new order of things. And, and Satan says, hey, listen, I can give you the easy way out. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. And then you'll have everything. And, and it's, it's, it's that temptation to even maybe do the right thing. But in the wrong way and in the wrong time. Jesus was all about establishing his kingdom, but that was not the right way, and it was not the right time. And there's probably, in whatever temptation, whatever flaw, whatever weakness that you might have, there is probably in that, more likely than not, an element of one or more of those three things. The temptation to meet a legitimate need with an illeg- in an illegitimate way. The temptation to use God to accomplish my own ends. Or the temptation to even do the right thing but in the wrong way, the wrong time. Any temptation you face probably fits in one of those. And what's particularly disturbing about this whole idea of temptation is the problem isn't just out there. The problem is within us. So that's what James writes. He says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires. It's within us. See, if it was just temptation from the outside, but there was nothing inside of us that resonated with that, it wouldn't be a temptation. But the problem is, it's within us. There is something within us, that need, that drive, that desire, whatever it is. That's the thing that pulls us away. Now, listen, desires in themselves are not evil. Desires are God-given. Desire for food is to take care of your body and to be able to continue to live. The desire for water, desire, all kinds of desires, they are good. They are God-given. But... But when they become evil is when, when I start to let my desires overrule my values. When my deepest desires start to overrule my deepest values, then they become evil. That's where the problem happens. And he says, you, you've been given these incredible desires. They're God-given. They're the things that drive you and make you move forward in your life and, and, and live an abundant life. But, but when those desires get out of control, when they start overriding your deepest values and the things that you say really matter to you, that's when they become evil. And, and there's that thing deep within us that, that has that little chink in it. And it's all about getting what I want now. My way, my timing, for my pleasure. There's an incredible study done 
uh, back in the 70s uh, at Stanford University. And it all had to do with one of these. Anybody recognize what this is? It's a marshmallow. Yeah. And, and what happened was um, they did this study with uh, four, five, and six-year-olds. And, and they said they put kids in a room, on the room, and said, okay, here's a marshmallow for you. If you can, for 15 minutes, not eat that marshmallow, I will come back in 15 minutes and give you a second one. So if you will, if you will delay gratification, in other words, kids didn't understand, don't know that word, they didn't use that word, but they said, if you, will just, if you will just for 15 minutes leave that marshmallow right there and not eat it, I will come back in 15 minutes and you will get not one, but two marshmallows. And this study has been repeated over and over again. Watch a little bit of this. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give me another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. Scripture says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. James said, you might think you are strong enough. You think you might be able to resist it. But be careful, because when you think you are the strongest, you're vulnerable. Be careful about that. See, it all has to do with this idea. If I do not face up to the fact that I have a weakness... If I don't think that I have that weakness, I am making myself more and more vulnerable. And what happens is I look for ways that how close can I get to the edge without stepping over the line? You know, the, the, the kid is <laughs> smelling the marshmallow. You know, just how, how close can I get? Can I pick at it a little bit? 
How close can I get to the edge without crossing the line? And if we're never willing to face up to, this is a flaw in me. This is a weakness that I have. I will continue to lay it, play it close to the line. And I just make myself more and more vulnerable to the temptation. And so when we are praying this, lead us not into temptation, what we're saying is, Lord, I know full well that I am vulnerable to temptation. But we're praying also something else. And maybe this helps with kind of the confusing part. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, what we're saying is, Lord, please help me to see where this will lead. Because we all follow something or someone. We are all pursuing a goal or a dream or a career or, or a relationship or a, or a girl or a, you know, whatever. We're, we're always pursuing after something that draws us forward. See, we're, we're all following something. And what we are saying when we pray this prayer is, Lord, I want to follow you. I, I want to follow you. I want you to be my lead. I want you to be my guide. And as you leading and guiding me, help steer me clear of those areas where I will fall. Because it's not that God's going to lead us into temptation or there's a danger that God might lead us into temptation. In fact, James says, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. That's not how God operates. In fact, it's not even a part of his character. But when I'm praying, Lord, Lead me not in temptation. I'm saying, Lord, I know that I am vulnerable, but I want to follow you. And, and as I follow you, steer me away from those areas that are flaws in my life. Now, the truth of that is, if I pray that, then I have to follow him. I can't say, Lord, lead me not in temptation when God's leading me that way and I'm walking off the cliff. Lord, lead me not. What I'm praying is, God, I want to follow you with my whole heart. And I need you to steer me away from those areas and points of weakness in my own life. See, every path that we take has a destination to it. Andy Stanley actually wrote a book about this called The Principle of the Path. Every path has a destination. And you can't go down one path thinking it's going to get you somewhere else. You're, you're going to go down that path and that path is going to lead you somewhere. And part of this prayer is saying, Lord, help me to see where this leads. Because in the moment of temptation, that's the last thing we are thinking about. See, we think it's, it's, just, about, it's just about cheating on an exam. And it's just about a good, a better grade. You know, we, we, none of us like liars, right? We, we were taught by our parents not to lie. We teach our kids not to lie. We, we don't want to work for a liar. We don't want a liar working for us. We don't want a government that lies to us. We don't like, we hate lying. We hate lying. But, but in the right situation, what will we do? We will lie. If it will mean a little bit better resume or a little bit extra in my bank account or closing the deal. And we say, why do I do that? 
What's up with that? I don't like liars. I hate liars. I don't like lying to myself. Why do I lie? Because we're not thinking that this leads somewhere. And it does. And that's the thing we need to understand is that every path has a destination. And there is more at stake in that temptation than we realize at the moment. Because what's at stake is our character. What's at stake is our future. And what's at stake actually is even the people around us. Because see, in the moment, we think it's just a little thing. It's, not, it's just a marshmallow. What, what harm can there be in a marshmallow? But there's always more at stake than what we're thinking about in the moment. And if we could just stop for just a moment and pause and say, Lord, help me to see where this leads, because it leads somewhere. And some of you, some of you, you are the experience, you, you've experienced that. Not, not even in your, in your own mistakes, not even in your own temptation, not in your own, but you have suffered because of the temptations that your parents gave into, that your dad who did this, or your mom who got hooked on that, or whatever it might be. You, and you suffer in your present for their past. And we need to understand, it might seem like it's just a marshmallow and it's not that big a deal. It's just a piece of fruit. But all of human history was at stake in that bite. See, your future and your children's future and your own character is at stake. And though we don't think about it in the moment, if we could just pause for a moment and say, Lord, help me to see where this leads because it leads somewhere. Now, we can... Knowing that principle, we can use that to our advantage or we can ignore it to our disadvantage. If we ignore it to our disadvantage, it leads to destruction. But if we can, if we can use that principle to our advantage, we're better off in the long run. If we can at that moment choose not to fall, choose not to sin, choose not to take that bite, it can lead us in a different path. And in that moment, in that moment of decision, and, and it, yeah, it's just a marshmallow. Yeah, it's just a piece of fruit. But a series of marshmallows and pieces of fruit keep moving me down the path. Remember the old story of Hansel and Gretel? You know, following the trail of candy to the witch's candy house. I know that's not a real life story, but the principle is there. It is what we do. It's just, it's just one more marshmallow. But marshmallow after marshmallow builds character. You know what they did? Uh, with this study. In fact, that study has been replicated over and over and over again. What they found, and they went back and, and interviewed kids, and, and these, they'd grown up 15, 20 years later. What they found was the, the kids that were able to, to resist for the 15 minutes in their lifetime ended up far more successful. They did better in their schooling. They did better in their careers. They did better in their life because they learned the principle of delayed gratification. Two-thirds, when they did the study, two-thirds of, and, and this has been over and over and over again. It's been replicated over and over again and, and without fail in every culture, not just in the United States. Two-thirds couldn't last the 15 minutes. But of the one-third that did, 
100% of them ended up in a better place in life, more successful, more secure, more stable in their families because they learned the principle of delayed gratification. In fact, um, Joaquin de Posada, um, they, he took that and, and re, re, I said, you know, I wonder if that would help, would work in Hispanic cultures. And so he took it and, and ran that experiment again in, uh, in Colombia and the exact same results. Two-thirds could not make it that 15 minutes. But the, those who did, they showed. They became more successful in life. There was, there was actually one girl. There was one girl. She ate all the inside of it, but, but left the outside. So, so it looked like she hadn't eaten. So they discovered she's going to be successful, but we got to keep our eye on her. You know? <laughs> The principle of the path is one thing always leads to another. That's what we teach our kids, right? But we forget it as adults. James wrote it this way. You are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There is always more at stake. So instead of playing it close to the edge, the best thing you can do is establish some boundaries back from the edge. Like, like, like guardrails on the freeway. They put, they put guardrails on the freeway to keep you from going into oncoming traffic or getting off onto, a, onto the, um, the, the uh, soft shoulder or the, the, you know, the roll of the cliff on the other side of that, that fence. You establish guardrails for your life. And a guardrail is simply a thing that I say, this is a line I will not cross. And the best place to put a guardrail is on the safe side. You don't see guardrails halfway down the cliff, okay? The the guardrail is always a good, you know, 10, 15 feet away from the cliff. Because you establish the guardrail on the, inst- on, the, on, on the safe side, in the area of safety, because you say, I, that's a line I will not cross, because I know I might be able to be cross that, but, but I, and I'll still be okay. But, but on the other side of that is the danger zone. And so if you can establish God-given boundaries and say, this is a line I will not cross, and if you establish that, it becomes so much a matter of conscience that you feel bad when you cross the boundary You may have crossed the boundary, but you've kept yourself from destruction. Because one thing leads to another. That's what James said. If you keep going closer and closer to the edge, eventually you fall off. So he says, start it all the way back here. Start it all the way back here in the safe area. When we're praying, that's what we're praying about. God, I know that I'm vulnerable. And I don't want to follow my own path. I want to follow yours. So lead me in ways that will define those boundary markers for me. Lead me in ways that I will stay on your path, on your road. And then there's a third thing. And it's the second part of that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What we're praying in that part is, I cannot resist this in my own strength. I can't do this on my own. This is where I need you, Lord. This is where I need you. Deliver us from the evil one because my own willpower won't cut it. 
In fact, anybody that's, that's dealt with an addiction in the 12-step program, the first three steps of the 12 steps are, I am powerless, that I need a power higher than myself, and I am turning over control to that higher power. What I'm saying is, God, I'm powerless in this one. I need your help. And I am turning over control this area of my life to you. Because I cannot do this on my own. Because I've got my own weaknesses. And I've got an enemy who is preying on those weaknesses all the time. And I can't resist it in my own strength. I need you. And God will protect you. God will strengthen you in the middle of it. He, in fact, he goes on, he says, he will provide a way of escape. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted above what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God will give you an escape patch, if you will. Now, you know, when you, you take a trip on a plane... You know, and you board and all the pre-boarding instructions and, the, and the, the, you know, the waitress gets up there and she, you know, put the belt buckle on and the thing will fall from the, you know, and put the mask on. And, and by you, please locate your exit rows in case of an emergency. And nobody pays attention. Yeah, I don't pay attention. I've heard it so many times. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've all heard it so many times. Blah, 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 blah. But if we were ever in that emergency... Gosh, we had wished we had paid attention. Where was that exit row now? I can't, was it behind me? Was it in front of me? What is, see, you find out where the escape hatch is beforehand. You find out where it is before you're in the emergency. You find that way of escape before you're caught in the temptation. Because when you're in the temptation, you're not thinking about that. And so part of this prayer is, Lord, I know that I am weak. I I know that I am weak. I know that I will fail. And I cannot resist this in my own strength. Show me a way out and show it to me now before I get myself into that situation. Help me establish the, the, the guardrails now so I don't get off. And if I do get off, show me how to get back on right away. And I don't know what that might be for you. I know some things that are common to all believers is fill your mind with good thoughts. Fill your mind with scripture. Read of God's protective care. Read of his promises. Read of his strength. Fill your mind with his presence. That's one escape hatch. You might might go to a trusted friend brother and just say you know this is a flaw in me and I struggle with it all the time would you hold me accountable would you just ask me from time to time how I'm doing in this two possible escape hatches find one and find it ahead of time because really really Really, what is at stake? Not just your future, not just your character, not just the people around you. Ultimately, what is at stake is your faith. Ultimately, that's what's at stake. Well, no, 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 no. God's grace covers me. He's going to forgive me. Yes, yes, yes. But every time you say no to God's will and yes to your own, 
Every time you say no to God's way and yes to your way, every time you fall, you're slowly, slowly, slowly learning to say no to God. And that's what happens. You know, I talk to people all the time who have given up their faith, who have lost their faith, who have given up on God. And it's not, you, I, nine times out of, 99 times out of 100, it's not because they came up with a theological argument against God. They behaved their way out of faith. They made choices along the way that led them in a path away from their faith and trusting God. Very, very few people make an intellectual study and decide, okay, I don't believe in God anymore. Mostly it's I've just learned to say no to God so many times that I just don't really even believe he's there anymore for me. Because I've given in so many times. What is the, it's not even worth it anymore. And we learn to accept that flaw and that weakness as my reality. And it's always going to be me and it's never going to change. And so I don't believe that God could really change me. That's what's really at stake. We learn to accept it as this is just who I am. But Christ came to make us new creations. He came not just to forgive us our sin, but to break the grip of sin in our lives. And I think so often because we've given in so many times in so many different ways, we just say, well, I'll just have to settle for the forgiveness because I can't break the grip. Christ died on the cross to break the grip. He paid the price for the past. But see, he rose again in resurrection power. And that's the power that we are meant to live in. And and it's just simply admitting, God, this is a weakness of mine. And I want to be led your way. I don't want to go down my own path anymore. And I can't do this by myself. I need your strength. And that simple acknowledgement is the first step to discovering his strength. And then, Lord, show me those escape hatches in case I do get off. And and discover those ahead of time. And then, Lord, help me establish these guardrails that will say, these are the boundaries I will not cross and, and make me feel so bad when I do cross them that I get back on. But it keeps me from the greater danger. And all of those things, the power of God is at work within you. And I think so often we talk so much about God's grace and God's forgiveness, and it is wonderful. It's, it's, no matter what you've done and no matter how many times you've done it, he will always forgive. But he says, I, I, I came to give you more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness you needed. Forgiveness I needed. But he came to give us more than just forgiveness. He came to give us life. Life in the Spirit. Life by His power. Life that breaks the grip that temptation and sin has on us. And that's what Easter is all about. In a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate that fact. And we're not just celebrating a historical event. What we are celebrating is the fact that we have now a power available to us that we never had before. Then we have not only forgiveness for our past, but we actually have the spirit of God within us that is giving us new life and transforming our character in such a way that I don't have to be the person I always was. I can be the person I was always meant to be. That's what we're praying in that little sentence. That's what we're praying.
God, this is my weakness. And I'm prone to stray. And I don't want to go my path. I want to go yours. And I can't do that in my own strength. I need you. And what it ultimately comes down to is, can I really trust God? Can I trust God to care for my life? Can I trust God to give me the strength to break this thing? Can I really put my life fully in his hands? And that's why James ends his section on temptation with these words. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James says, if you want to overcome the temptation, understand it's your own desires that pull you away, but God is greater, and, and, and he is good, and he is great, and every good and perfect gift, every desire that you have, every need that you have, he will supply in the right way and in the right time if you will just trust his character and let his character begin to shape your character. Do you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.